Good morning. So that's not quite how the story went, but we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about something uh, that's been a favorite of mine since I was little, and that's Legos, okay? And so these are the, the plastic building blocks that usually children play with, or if you're in my case, adult. Um, now, they've, they've evolved quite a bit since I was young, but the principle has stayed the same. You, you get to create something, right? You start from scratch, it's just a pile of pieces, and, and you get to build something. Now, I don't remember what birthday it was, um, but my mom at a garage sale had found for me this tote, and it was, a, it was a massive tote that was completely full of Legos, and I was so excited, and I spent probably hundreds of hours playing with these Legos and building all sorts of different types of things, and so there, there was this one day, I was like, I'm going to put my skills to the test, and, and I built this, uh, what to me, I mean, I was a short kid, so it, to me it was tall, it was like a six-foot tower of Legos that I had built, and I mean, it was amazing. Um, now, I didn't quite have enough, so I, there, it was different colors, and it was kind of weird, but it worked, and, and I loved it, and you know, as naturally, as a kid, when I was proud of something, I'm like, I'm going to go show this off to my mom. So the natural thing, because I built it in my room, would be to bring her upstairs to look at it, and now I was a kid, so I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to carry this down to her. And so I go and I, and I make it out of my room and I'm holding it and I make it about three steps down and I'm really focused on where I'm stepping and I wasn't paying attention to the top and the top of it smacked against the ceiling and it broke in half and then that half fell and hit the stairs and then fell down the stairs and crumbled and, and broke and that was kind of it for my tower. Um, but that was, that's kind of what it, life is when you play with Legos. Um, and today, I still play with them. I don't play with them, kind of. But um, I don't know. You can talk to Sammy about that. Um, but I collect, so they have sets now. So instead of the random box that you buy, you buy a set. And it's based off different things, whether it's a movie or real life. But you can buy these sets that are based off real things. Um, and you build them, and it tells you exactly how to uh, build them. And, and I have an entire bookshelf in our house devoted to these sets of Legos that I have collected. And, and I've told Sammy that someday I'm going to need to upgrade from this bookshelf to something else. You know, something with like a glass locking door like you'd keep China in or something. Because when we have children, they're not going to touch my Legos. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Because I don't want to have to relive that nightmare of watching my tower fall down the stairs. Uh, but so the reason that I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Legos today, because in my mind, the, the mind of a 22-year-old youth pastor, um, Legos fit in when we talk about the Bible. As Bryce talked about in the first week of the series, God created the world. And, and in my mind, it's, it's like he started with that large tote of Legos. You know, it was just chaos and disorder. And God began to dig in, and he put things together piece by piece, and he created the world in, this, in six days. And at the end of it, he was able to sit back and appreciate what he had done. And, and at this point, this is where I differ from God, because this is where I set it on the shelf, and it looks nice, and it's never to be touched again. But God is different. Instead, God decides to hand it over to Adam. He gives Adam dominion over it. And he says, I want you to take care of this. I have poured myself into it, and now I want you to take care of it. 
And as we learned, it doesn't take long for Adam to essentially drop it down the stairs. And it leaves God picking up the pieces and trying to put it back together. And God tried this for a while, and it wasn't going so well, so he decided to start from scratch, and that's where we get the story of the flood and Noah. And what's interesting is that God could have done this by himself. He could have put the whole thing together by himself, done. He didn't need any help, but that, that's not our God. As we three, see throughout the Bible and as we talk through this series, God uses a huge variety of people to help him that, that he partners with. Not because he had to, but because he chooses to. So we saw this last week with Abraham. God chose to use Abraham. He came to him and said, will you partner with me in this? I have an opportunity for you. And at that point, it's up to Abraham, right? It, it's, it's, the ball is in his court, per se. God didn't force him to do it. He asked him to. Adam made the choice to eat the fruit. Noah decided to build the ark, and Abraham made the choice to follow God. And so today, we're going to look at the story of Moses, because that's how you pronounce his name, actually. Uh, a man who made the decision to partner with God and accomplished amazing things. And so to give a correct overview of the life of Moses, uh, he was born a Hebrew, um, and at that time they were slaves of the Egyptians, and the Pharaoh was scared because their, their population was growing so fast that he was scared that the Hebrews were going to revolt against him and take over Egypt. And so the Pharaoh declared for all male babies to be put to death. And Moses' mother knew this and understood this, and she decided to hide him anyway for as long as she could. And when she couldn't any longer, she set him in a basket and, set, and floated him down the Nile. And his sister would follow him as he came to the place where it was just the Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And she would pick him up out of the basket, and she decided to raise Moses as her own. And as one of the clues from this week said, um, she named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. And so even though uh, he grew up in Pharaoh's household, Moses would have understood that he was a Hebrew, that he was different. And so when he would go about the land and he would look around and he'd see his true people under slavery and he'd see them being beaten by their slave masters and it, and it troubled him on the inside. And, and one day it got to the point where he was watching some people being beaten and he couldn't take it anymore and he attacked the slave master and ended up killing him and then he buried him in the sand. Now Moses didn't really think anybody had seen it uh, and so he wasn't too worried until he found out that someone did see it. And so he decided to leave, and he went to the land of Midian. And so just to take a quick break in the story, um, we see that in the, in the early days of Moses, through some unfortunate events, uh, he came to be raised as an Egyptian. Now, the Bible doesn't go into detail about Moses' life as an Egyptian, um, but it could be assumed that he was raised as any uh, native uh, Egyptian boy would have been. And so, and then also at this point, we see that Moses is a murderer. And I, I think we sometimes gloss over this fact when we, when we tell the story. Um, but today, I mean, we'd usually consider a person who murdered someone to be kind of a character flaw, right? It's some, I mean, it's someone that you wouldn't think that would be God's first pick to do something amazing. 
Yet that's not what we'll see. And so when, when Moses goes to Midian, uh, he'd help the priest's daughters, and because of that, he'd be given one of them in marriage, and, and Moses would become a shepherd in that land. Um, and so he, he was a shepherd, and he'd take care of his flock, and he was out there doing that one day um, when he, he noticed a bush that was burning. I wish it was a bad signal. It wasn't. It was a bush that was burning, but it, it wasn't being consumed by fire, which is pretty amazing in itself. And so naturally seeing that, he's like, oh, I got to go look at this. And so he goes up to look at it, and God does. He starts to speak to Moses through it. And God explained how he had heard the cries of his people. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham to bring them to the promised land. Again, not flowing with peanut butter and jelly. And so God wanted Moses to go back and speak with Pharaoh. And tell him to let the Hebrews go. And you see, Moses was not very receptive to this idea. <laughs> and, and at this point, it's kind of like they were, they were going through a, a reverse interview, right? Instead of Moses going out and finding a job, the job came to him. And then instead of listing his qualifications, Moses starts listing his disqualifications. And as already as we've seen in the story, Moses had some valid disqualifications, You'd think that God would want to pick someone who is at least raised in Hebrew culture or wasn't a murderer. And Moses also talks about how uh, he, he was slow of speech. Now, it's been debated, but some say that this might have meant that Moses had a stutter. And this is the, the job that God wants him to do is to go speak. He's like, I can't really do that. <laughs> and at this point... Um, you know, at the end of it, God says, I don't care what your disqualifications are because I want you to do it. And I don't, I don't need your abilities because you'll have me. And so this is when Moses would make the decision of his life. He would make the choice to partner with God. He would take advantage of the opportunity that God was giving him. He would go back to Egypt and Moses, or not Moses, uh, Pharaoh was not very receptive to the idea of letting the Hebrews go as well. And so God would send down 10 different plagues upon the Egyptians. And what's interesting about this is that um, the Egyptians worshipped a whole pantheon of gods. So it's kind of like uh, later on when the Romans or the Greeks, they had many, many different gods. And they had, their, their gods were for different things. And so just to give some examples, um, they had the god of the Nile. Uh, his name was Hep. And what's interesting is that the plagues correlate to the gods of Egypt. And so the, the first plague was the plague that turned the water of the Nile into blood. All the water of Egypt turned into blood. And this is, this is kind of showing Egypt, hey, you can't rely on this god. Or one of the biggest gods of Egypt had to do with the sun, and he kind of went by a couple different names. Um, but the Egyptians believed that he was the one who pulled the sun across the sky. And so he would pull it across the sky, and when it went down at night, that was the God entering the underworld where he'd have to fight all night long to be able to bring up the sun again in the morning. And so if the sun rose again in the morning, that meant that the Egyptian God had won and that the Egypt was blessed by their God. That as we see, the ninth plague was the plague of darkness where the sun wouldn't rise for three days. It, it was said that it was so dark that the darkness could be felt. 
And what this shows is that these plagues are not random things that God did because he thought they were funny to put a bunch of frogs everywhere. But that he was showing that he was better than the gods of Egypt. See, Egypt was the powerhouse of the day. They were the nation to beat. You know, and because as that was true, their gods were the ones to beat. And so God is showing them, nope, I'm the better one. I'm the powerful one. I'm the one who's in charge here. And I think this is also to remind the Hebrews as well. Yes, you've been in slavery, but remember what type of a God that you worship. You know, as, as God told Moses at the burning bush, you know, he says, I am the great I am. I, I am who I am. I am powerful. I created the universe. Nothing has power over me. And then the last plague was the death of the firstborn. Now God had given the Hebrews a way to be spared from this plague, and it was by sacrificing an unblemished lamb and that they had spread its blood over their doorframe. And then that night when the angel of the Lord came down to take the life of the firstborns, he'd see the blood and, and he would pass over it. And as it was talked about at communion meditation, that's where they get the, the holiday of Passover. It's one of the biggest Jewish holidays. And so after all this, Pharaoh finally relented and, and let them go. And, and we know that, you know, they went and Pharaoh changed his mind and tried to get him back. And, and God did another miracle of splitting the Red Sea. And they'd end up escaping Egypt. And, and, the, and the Israelites would go on to, to take um, God as, as their God again and to worship him. Now they had their ups and downs in this and they had to take a 40-year detour to a uh, through the desert before they got to the promised land. But what's cool is there's, there's things that happen in this time period. And, it, and it's back to the beginning illustration. It's God putting things back together. It's God putting the pieces of the puzzle back together. So for starters, not long after leaving Egypt, uh, Moses would bring down the Ten Commandments, right? You can just picture Charlton Heston walking down the mountain, you know, on the set with the, with the tablets. Um, and this would be the beginning of a law code that the Israelites had. And all in all, they would end up with 613 laws. And this included a very detailed animal sacrificial system. And to us, it's weird, you know, sacrificing animals. Um, but God had a very direct purpose behind this. Because back to the garden for a moment. When, when God created everything and Adam first sinned, yes, Adam was kicked out of the garden. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Yes, uh, they were no longer able to eat from the tree of life. But the worst consequence of that sin was that their relationship with God, that perfect relationship where he was able to walk with them in the cool of the day, it was torn apart. They were separated from God. And that was, that was the worst consequence of that sin. God could no longer walk with his people. And so this animal sacrificial system that God told Moses and Moses had put in place um, allowed God to be a step closer than what he was. It, it was another piece back together. God was able to, to dwell in a place called the tabernacle, and it was this, this large tent that they had created, and in the back of it there was a large um, curtain that separated the back, and that's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, a large gold box that they had created to put the tablets of the Ten Commandments in. And it was here that the presence of the Lord would reside. 
It was here that God continued to give um, Moses and his people direction. And we can read about it uh, in, in Exodus chapter 40, uh, verses 34 through 38. If you want to turn there, I did look it up. It's on page 67 of the Bible in the pew. So starting in verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So what I want to be the focus of this message is not look what Moses did. It's not look at what an amazing person Moses was. Yes, Moses had great faith, and, and he would be commended for that in the Bible. But the real message of the story is, look what God did to draw closer to his people. God took a man completely unqualified for the job and used him to go above and beyond. That doesn't make Moses impressive. It makes our God impressive. It shows us the love and the care that he has for his people. He didn't just rule from the clouds after Adam had sinned. No, he, he set a plan in motion to draw closer to us. And for a long time, he was able to do this through the tabernacle and then later on through the temple. Because as we'll see, as the story continues, as we continue through this series, is that God continues to put the pieces back together and draw close to his people. And so the story of Moses means a couple different things for us today. Number one, I want you to understand that, as I said, God's desire is to be close to his people. That has not changed. God wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with each one of us. Closer than any relationship we've ever had. He wants to be the person that we, that we talk to right when we wake up in the morning. He wants to be the first person that we talk to when we've had a bad day at work. He wants to be first, not the last chance hope. The first of the Ten Commandments says that you shall have no other gods before me. And here God might as well be saying, don't have anything before me. Anything. Because when God says this, it's coming from a completely jealous standpoint. He is jealous for you. He wants to spend the most time with you. And God went through a lot of work to be with the Israelites, to be in the tabernacle. And, I'm, and by close, I mean being in a tent that only one person could enter once a year. And can you imagine what it was like for God to have once walked with his people in the garden 
to know that he had to be confined to a tent. But he knew it was better to be in that tent than to not be amongst his people at all. And the second part of the story of Moses is remembering what type of a person God picked to help put things back together. Yeah, Moses was born a Hebrew, but uh, he wasn't raised in the culture of God's people. He, he probably wasn't acquainted with all the things of it, what it was like to be a Hebrew. And I mean, he was a murderer, for goodness gracious. And his primary job for what God wanted him to do was to speak. He was to speak to Pharaoh, and he was to speak to the Israelites from God. And speaking was probably the thing that Moses was worst at. Yet despite all his flaws, he was a person that God picked and used to do incredible things. And I don't know about you, but that's amazing news for me because I am full of flaws. You can ask my wife. But if God can use Moses, then I have to understand that God can use me. I can't deny that God can use me if he can use someone like Moses. And something I find sad about our society today is that we put a lot of pressure on being perfect. And especially this time of year with with our New Year's resolutions, and I have nothing against bettering ourselves, but a lot of times the pressure becomes unhealthy. The, The desire to become perfect becomes unhealthy. People... You know, they they don't feel like they look good enough. They don't feel like they're smart enough, strong enough. Or maybe maybe they're like Moses and they don't feel like they speak well enough. And this, this thought process creates insecurities. It breeds insecurities. And the problem with that is that it becomes a hindrance to things that God might want us to do. It becomes us listing our disqualifications to God for why we don't want to do what he wants us to do. I see it at school all the time. We have students who will drop out because they don't feel adequate enough for ministry. And, and having this mindset is just detrimental because you spend any amount of time in the Bible and you'll see that it, it doesn't matter what your abilities are. God doesn't care about our abilities because he has his own. So today I want to warn you to be on the lookout for that mindset in yourself and in those around you. God didn't always pick the best person for the job, but it never mattered because they weren't relying on, their, on themselves. They were relying on God. And so let's end the pressure of being perfect by oneself and point to the fact that we are made perfect in God. And let's not just point to that fact, but let's celebrate in the realization that we don't have to live by our own abilities. That is truly a a thing to be celebrated. We have an incredible God. And with every story we'll look at in this series, it'll be painted clearer and clearer how amazing he is. He cares and is deeply jealous for us. And as we'll see, not all the pieces are back together yet. God still desires the full reconciliation of that relationship in the garden. To be in unity with his people without anything separating them. 
And as we continue through the Bible, um, God's plan of how he is going to put things back together will become more and more evident. And at the same time, we'll be shown a picture of the depth of his love and, and the lengths that he is willing to go to be closer to us. God wants you to help him in this restoration of this relationship. He wants you to be a part of it. And I can't guarantee that'll involve freeing an entire nation of people while punishing the guilty party with plagues. But the question becomes, why would we want to miss out on any opportunity to partner with God, especially one like we have? So now, just like Moses, Abraham, Noah, the choice is yours. God's not going to force you to do anything. It's up to you to decide to stop letting the insecurities stop you from helping him, to stop letting the insecurities make you, you know, list those out to him of why you don't want to help him. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, you, you are an amazing God. And the story of Moses points us to that fact. Moses had great faith, but it was truly you who made him great. Give us the courage to set aside our insecurities, to look past our flaws, and know that, that it doesn't matter because we have you. Thank you for your incredible love and desire to be with us. That that desire continues today and will continue forever. I don't know how we got so lucky, uh, but we truly are blessed to have such an incredible God. So again, we thank you today, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.